I want to talk to you today about this idea of why it is so important to love the truth and why it is so important to receive the truth. And if you were, if I were to ask you, or maybe you, I were to just ask a random person on the side of the street, hey, do you want to be deceived or do you want to know the truth? They would probably, or you would probably say, well, duh, I want, I don't want to be deceived. I want to know the truth. But as I was preparing and, and, and hearing from God what I believe the Lord was wanting to say, I was reminded of the movie of A Few Good Men. You guys remember that movie from the 90s? Some of you were like, the 90s, I wasn't even born. But in the movie A Few Good Men, Tom Cruise was like a lawyer in this courtroom sitting for like a Marine situation. And he did the famous line of the 90s, or one of them, and he said, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. And I'm like, yeah, I just love that, that scene. That's a great, you know, little, little moment in, in the 90s. And, 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 and I think that that is very true, that a lot of people say, I want the truth. And I do think there is a part of us that would almost, you could almost say, you can't handle the truth. Or better yet, you don't really want the truth. You want, you want the truth, but you don't really want the truth. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe a family, friend, or whatever, we were trying to speak into their life, hey, don't make that choice. Don't make that decision. And they'd blow you off. Or maybe you've had people come and ask you for your counsel and for your opinion, and so you tell them what you think is wise, and then they blow you off. And you, could, you would probably, on the outside looking in, would say, you know, I don't think you really want the truth. I think you want somebody to tell you what you want to hear. And in this day and age, I believe that it is extremely extremely important that we as the people of God, I, I, be, I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us today, it is necessary for your protection in the times and in the seasons we are in that you love and receive the truth. Because if you do not love and receive the truth, you will open yourself up to deception. And I, I, I genuinely feel this is a warning-type word. And I don't want to make this all heavy and, 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 and make it all difficult because I, I believe that there's a lot of good things in this. But I just really feel like today we have to really process and look at our lives. Because I know for myself, it is, there have been many times where a little voice in my head you know, you know, you see the TV shows and you got the angels on both sides. You kind of have something, you know, some people call that your conscience, where you go and there's this nagging feeling that you're doing something wrong, the nagging feeling that maybe you need to make a different decision. I think that sometimes the Holy Spirit, you know, he speaks into our spirit. He does, sometimes he speaks into our minds, but, but really he speaks in our spirit. And when he speaks in our spirit, it, it, it oftentimes is gentle and subtle and can feel like a nudge. And that gentle nudge, you can just feel it. And there are times when I'm not yielded to God. I'm not surrendered to God. 
I'm not in a healthy place. And I can feel something inside of me whispering, speaking. And I have a choice in that time. Am I going to receive what is truth? I think a lot of people would say that they genuinely have a true desire for truth. But I would actually say I don't know how true that really is. And so I want to look today at some scriptures that are flat out going to bug you, that are going to be difficult for you, and they're difficult for me. Because the truth is, is what I'm going to tell you, you'll, you'll see why. It's kind, of, it's kind of hard to swallow. And so before you say, Daniel, this is blasphemy, let's, let's follow the scripture and let's see what the scripture says because we don't want to be deceived. And let's just be honest, there are some scriptures that are weird, disturbing, and I don't like them. But if you, if you said to me, Daniel, I have no problem with any scriptures, then I question if you're reading the Bible. Because the Bible says things about me that I don't like. The Bible says things about me that I don't want. And there are some things, there are some things that are in there that I wish were not in there. Because I wish Jesus would make this easier. I wish desperately that Jesus would be softer and not so firm. Because then more people would like me. And we can give more people what they want. But Jesus loves to make it hard. And he loves to find out who's all in and who's afraid of man. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica. And in the context of what we're about to read, it actually is talking about the end of the world and the Antichrist and the various aspects of the end times. But I want to pull out uh, a couple of verses, uh, starting in verse 8, where the Apostle Paul talks about the lawless one. Now, the lawless one is the Antichrist, all right? And if you don't know who the Antichrist is, we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So it's a, it's a man. Well, what we assume a man. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So that Jesus is going to come back, sword's going to come out of his mouth, and he is just going to literally consume the Antichrist. And he will destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. This person is going to operate with supernatural abilities. They are human. Do I sound funny all of a sudden? Okay, good. I'm sorry. I'm just hearing things up here. All right. This person will have supernatural ability, supernatural favor, and the world is going to be utterly smitten with this individual. He will rule the planet, and people in other nations will give their allegiance and their authority to this one world ruler under a one world government. Now, in verse 10, it says, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish... Because they did not 
receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So I want you to see here, these people did not receive the love of the truth. And that's why they were not saved. In verse 11, it says, and for this reason. What reason? The reason is they did not love the truth. Because they did not love the truth, it says in verse 11, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Who will send it? God. This is, this is, this is heavy. This is hardcore stuff here. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I have no idea if we, I mean, I, yes, we are in the end times. There's no doubt about it. We've been there for a long time. But how endish are we? Are we literally like a couple years away? Are we a couple decades away? A couple centuries away? I don't really know. But what I do know, and I, I, I like how one theologian tried to explain it. Have you ever heard of the saying, history repeats itself? Not at me. You'll make me feel better, and then I'll preach better. I'll preach better if you guys look happy about it. I really will. I try not to, but you guys determine if this goes south or not. <laughs> but what one theologian said is that all of history is like a spiral staircase. It's simply going up to a culmination, but simply repeating and coming to the same part over and over with different characters and different people. And that is exactly the way biblical prophecy is. There has already been an Antichrist. He had al has already come between the Old and the New Testament, Antiochus Epiphanes. It's already happened. What Daniel prophesied happened. But Jesus said it's going to happen again because there are cycles to prophetic words. So it can happen more, not just one time, it can actually happen again and again in a culmination. So there are antichrists, plural. It is not just one, there will be one. And he, all, of he, all of history will culminate with one antichrist. But for the time being, they rise and they fall, and they rise and they fall. And they operate in a spirit, an actual demonic spirit, that causes humanity to be influenced by them. And so in this idea of an antichrist, it says that God, not the devil. Now, is the devil empowering the, this antichrist? Absolutely. Is this antichrist being led by God. Not really. But God allowed, and therefore in his allowing, he kind of sent a spirit of delusion. Why? So that people that will not believe the truth will be tested, exposed, and condemned. Doesn't sound very loving, does it? It's, it's getting worse. No. 
We have to come to grips with the real gospel, the real Jesus, and we cannot allow ourselves to fall under deception because there is a great deception that is happening in the world today. It is obvious, and if you don't think it's there, then you might need to double-check some things because you're probably very deceived. Or you just don't want to open your eyes because if you open your eyes, you're going to have to come to grips with the truth. And I don't blame you for wanting to stick your head in the sand and just pretending it's all good and believing everything they say. And by they say, I mean the, the, the way of the world. There is a great deception and the world is drunk. But the world is not drunk on alcohol. The world is drunk because a spirit of delusion and a spirit of deception has crept, not crept, all over the earth. But here's the thing I want you to see. I'm not telling you what you don't already know. What will blow your mind, and this is hard to understand, and I hope this comes across okay, because I I don't know how to say this the most perfect way. I believe that God is in it. You know, some of you are like, I don't believe that Jesus would be like that. I know, I know, I feel the same way. But when I read the Bible and what the Holy Spirit's been telling me contradict what I want the scriptures to say. You see, Jesus is not concerned about making Christianity easy. And he's not concerned about lowering the bar so more people get in. Jesus is also wanting people to get off the fence. Boy, this is, just can feel it. What if I told you everything happening around us, worldwide events, stock market crashes, defaulting on debt, things present and things to come, What if I told you that God was like a maestro and he's bringing everything to a culmination? But a loving God wouldn't do that. Well, you're absolutely right. He is a loving God. He's a loving God and he's extremely wise. And he gives everybody free will. He gives everybody free will The ability to choose. Do you want this king or do you want a different one? Do you want this master or do you want a different one? And so he goes and he speaks to everyone, giving everybody free will. And he speaks into your spirit and he speaks into your conscience. And he is more than willing to lead you and to guide you into all truth. But how to say this this way. If you feel God correcting you, you should feel so loved. You should feel like God is protecting you. If you feel God saying things that you don't want to hear and it's hard to swallow, you should feel just so loved and so protected. But there is a judgment. And I, I wish it wasn't so, but there is a judgment that happens when a person 
willfully refuses the Holy Spirit time after time over and over again. And what happens is, is when a per- and I don't know how God decides, but God knows every heart. And God says, all right, I am going to let you do what you want to do. That is one of the freakiest things that can happen. When God says, all right, I'll give you what you want. You don't want God to give you what you want. You don't. If God gives you, just takes his hands off and says, all right, get what you want. That is a judgment. And it talks about this in Romans chapter 1. And so we see through Scripture that you want God's hand to be on your life. You want his correction. But there's another thing that can happen besides God just lifting his hands. And we don't talk about it much. But it is when God actually, we become so calloused and so hardened that God says, okay, now I'm going to let you have a spirit of delusion a spirit of deception be your master. Because you don't want me, you have chosen your alternative. And it's, it's, it's kind of weird to talk this way, I know. But the Father is coming back for a pure bride. A, sp- a spotless bride. A bride that is enamored, fully in love with him willing to die for him, willing to say no to temptation out of love, willing to to persevere, willing to go through hard things to be worthy of coming back for. Jesus is coming back for a pure bride. And what if I told you everything that's happening around us has more to do with what God wants to do in his church than anything else. What if the things we were looking at actually isn't the thing? What if I told you it's about being tested and it's about being trained and being prepared for your destiny? If Jesus were to send a revival and literally were to bring in a massive harvest of humanity, what kind of church would he want to bring baby Christians into? A dysfunctional, messed up, backbiting church, or one that genuinely love God and love their neighbor? And so what we have is a lot of people that claim the name of Jesus, but they have literally no fruit in their lives. I'm talking about the American church. We have a lot of people and a lot of churches that claim God, but they deny the power in their lives. And their Christianity is weak and anemic and looks nothing like the Bible. It looks nothing like Jesus is coming back for. And Jesus has a bunch of people. And I say this in love. Hopefully this is coming across okay, because I'm I'm not angry. I am not here to point the finger. 
I'm just saying this because I don't want you to be deceived because I believe it's going to get more intense. And so you can, a lot of us want to be in the world and love the world and have Jesus. And so we live this life of compromise and wishy-washy Christianity. And Jesus is saying, it's time to separate what is uh, wheat and what is weeds. And he's not doing it because he doesn't love people. They're already there. There are people that think they're going to heaven, but they're not. They think they're saved, but they're not. They think they're hearing from the right spirit, but they're not. And so God is testing to reveal what is already inside of us. Are we willing to accept what he says, or will we bow down because we fear man? We as a church, as a nation, have pockets and remnants of wonderful, God-loving, God-fearing people. But let me explain this. We are not ready for where we're going. We're all focused. God, did you know that they put a mandate on that? God, do you know that they're lying about that? God, do you realize what's happening in Afghanistan? And God's like, trust me, I'm more focused on you than you need to be focused on that. You're my project right now. Because I'm raising up an army that walks by faith and not by sight. I'm raising up a people that are not afraid to go into a war zone and get the plunder. I'm raising up a people that are invincible and unstoppable and are full of my spirit. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I look at you and you say, I don't have much strength. And God says, yes, but I have set before you an open door. You see, we are being aligned. We are being tested. And how many Christians, famous ones even, that I was influenced by when I was a kid, that are walking away from the faith, and they're saying things like, a loving God would never send people to hell. A loving God would never do this. So therefore, I can't bring myself to believe in a God that would. Listen, this idea that says love wins Therefore, do whatever you want. It's all good with God. God accepts it. God accepts you. And God made you this way. Listen, there's no science behind that. I'm just saying. There is no science behind that. that all that stuff that says, I, I feel this way. Listen, what would it be like? See, this is why I asked God to edit what I say, because I don't know what I was going to say. I'm saying stuff I wasn't saying in the first service. What would it be like if we took a four-year-old kid and told them, we think you're an alien? We aren't sure if you're human because you kind of act weird. And you start really feeding a lie that that's not a boy, that's an alien. What would it do to that kid? It would mess them up. And any counselor with a brain knows that you don't take a five-year-old boy into the bathroom and say, well, do you think you're a girl? Listen, a five-year-old doesn't know anything, let alone if you're brainwashing them. But counselors say nothing. Why? Because a great deception 
has come upon the planet. And how do we process it? But God is in it. You're saying that God's causing them to sin. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God knows the heart of man, and he knows, if you're familiar with the story of Moses, you watched the Ten Commandments? Listen, when God was working with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God jumped in on it and said, you are so hard-hearted, there's nothing I can do. So now I'm going to take the very thing that you're doing. I'm going to pull you into what I'm doing. Do you really think that God was having a hard time getting his people out of Egypt? What was it? The 10 plagues, right? 10, right, Isaac? Okay. 10 plagues. God tries one and Pharaoh says no. God tries two and three. God gets to about seven. You know, God's like, all right, this time I hope Pharaoh lets them go. Man, this one I think is going to work. And Pharaoh says no. God's like, dang it. We've got to try another one. No. No. God knew he was hard-headed. And God's like, I'm working you. You see, God takes the hardness, the deceived, and then he causes them like a conductor. Oh, you don't want that? All right, we'll see how that goes. Oh, you, you don't like a God like that? Okay, we'll see how that goes. And he is orchestrating because he has a bride. He's doing a work in us to make us beautiful and pure. And if you're going to abandon the scripture so more people will come to your church, then you're not worthy of him. And if you will shut your mouth when the Lord says to speak up, you're not worthy of him. And if you will not lay down your life out of love and devotion to him, then you're not worthy of him. And so he will not take second place. How many people would want a wife that has a couple other guys on the side? Neither does God. Neither does Jesus. He wants a wife that only has eyes for him. And he is willing to make it hard to eradicate the people that aren't really for him, that aren't really with him. And then he takes the ones that stay, that persevere, and they press through. The Lord spoke to my spirit in July, and I was sitting there, and I heard the Lord say, pearls or cowards? And I, my son, Ezekiel, my oldest boy here, had a dream, I believe, a day or two before. And in the dream, there was a bull, and there was a tiger, and the tiger had horns on and they were duking it out in a, in a match. Now, when it comes to dream interpretation, horns, well, not dream interpretation, in the scriptures, horns always represent strength and power. And in dream interpretation, it's not always the same, but usually tigers and bulls represent a stubborn spirit. And so then in the other part of his dream, he was running a marathon. And so when you put the dreams together, you see the Lord saying, stubbornness, wrestling, marathon, endurance, perseverance. And then the Lord spoke to my spirit, pearls or cowards, and instantly I remembered the dream. What, what does a pearl do? 
or a pearl, a pearl is caused by irritation. It's that irritation in those. It's a clam, right? Help me out. I would, this, is all, you're, this is all free for you guys. This wasn't in the first service. You're getting a bonus. All right. Pearls are created through perseverance, endurance, and irritation. And what is a coward? A coward is a person who runs from irritation, who runs from pain. So we got to find out where we're, we're going with this sermon. All right, let's come back. So we are going through cha- training. We are going through testing. Now I want to show you some more scriptures to prove to you that I'm right. So I want to go to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. After two days, it was the Passover. Verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Now, you may be saying, why is he telling us this? This is why. When you look at this passage, did you realize, first of all, that Jesus died during Passover, the Jewish holiday of Passover, where they commemorate their Passover and their exodus from Egypt. Jesus died, just coincidentally, as the lamb on the very holiday where they sacrifice the lamb. Perfect timing, right? Did you know the Jewish leaders said there in, in another passage of scripture as well, that it was their intention and their plan to wait till Passover was over. They said, let's, you know, they had Judas working, working for him as double agent, and they had Judas planning on when to betray Jesus, but they said, let's not do this during Passover because we are afraid of people. We are afraid that people are going to riot. And so... When you see Jesus in the upper room, or the Last Supper, whatever you would call it, getting my, he says, yeah, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all like, who, you, me? I know it's going to be him. It wasn't me. And finally, Jesus kind of singles out Judas, and all the guys don't get it. And Jesus says to Judas, what you do, do quickly. And Judas is sitting there probably stunned and doesn't know what to do, so he just gets up to leave. But what I want you to see, who's in charge here? God or Judas? Jesus or the religious leaders? They were not planning on capturing Jesus that night. He forced their hand. Now's the time. Judas, go. I'm going to die. Get on it. And they all just jump on the bandwagon because God was orchestrating it. God was in charge. Did God take away Judas's free will? Absolutely not. Judas had already decided what he was going to do. Did God control Pilate and what he did? No. Judas, I mean, Pilate made his own choice. God just took all a bunch of hard-hearted people and just like and orchestrated what they would and would not do. I want you to see another passage of scripture here. 
1 Kings chapter 22. This is a really weird one. Probably not the weirdest one in the Bible, but it's up there. I think it's kind of wild myself. 1 Kings chapter 22. The king that we're going to read about is King Ahab. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were bad news. Really bad people. They led the nation brutally astray, had a bunch of pagan worship, and just really took the nation off track, and therefore weren't very popular with God. So in verse 3, it says, And the king of Israel, that's, that's Ahab, said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go out with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Now, you've got to remember here, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. They're two separate nations. Jehoshaphat is a good guy. He's a man of God. He's the king of Judah. King Ahab is the king of Israel. He's a bad guy. But they have an alliance. And so he says, there's land over here that actually belongs to us. Can you help me go get it back from the Syrians? And Jehoshaphat is like, sure, let's do it. Then Jehoshaphat says to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. So what I want you to see here is every time you see the word Lord in the Bible and every letter is capitalized, it actually is not saying Lord. It's saying Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God in the Old Testament, which means I am that I am. So when you see all caps like that, it is telling you it's not talking about some generic God. It means it is talking about actual God of Israel, Yahweh. So that'll make more sense as we read this. So Jehoshaphat in verse 5 said, let's ask Yahweh what, if we should do this or not. Verse 6, the ki- then the king of Israel, that's Ahab, gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Notice it's not all in caps right there. That's not talking about Yahweh. So what happened was, is King Ahab had 400 prophets of Baal. Baal means master or lord. So, what he is doing here is Jehoshaphat says, hey, ask a prophet of Yahweh, and instead of getting a prophet of Yahweh, he gets 400 prophets of Baal. These people tell him what he wants to hear. He sur- think about it. He surrounded himself with 400 people to say, yep, go for it. Have you ever done that or known somebody where they surround themselves with people that tell them what they want to hear? And then, in verse 7, Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of Yahweh here that we may inquire of him? 
So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of Yahweh. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. So Jehoshaphat says, Let's get a prophet of Yahweh. And he doesn't. And then he says, no, 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 seriously, dude. I know you got 400 people, yes men here. But is there a real prophet of Yahweh? And he's like, I don't want him. I don't like him. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Verse 9. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of... Actually, I'm not reading verse 10. Verse 11, I'm skipping that. Verse 11. Now Zedekiah, Zedekiah was a false prophet. Zedekiah, and I'm not even going to say the name of his dad, he made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians while they are destroyed, until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper. Listen to this. For Yahweh will deliver it into the king's hand. So now, these false prophets are now, they've been prophesying, but now they're saying, and Yahweh says, go and do it. God says it's all good. Verse 13. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah, spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please, let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. So he's saying, listen, everybody else is doing it. There are like 400 guys all saying this. So just when you go in there, just tell them what they're already saying. That's our world. That is our world. If you do not say what they want you to say and what they're all saying, they ban you. They say crazy things about you. And you get misrepresented. That's our world. But then the prophet says in verse 14, as Yahweh lives, whatever Yahweh says to me, that I will speak. So he goes and says, I'm, I'm willing to give what the word of the Lord is. But then in verse 15, it says, He came to the king, and the king said, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for Yahweh will deliver it into the hand of the king. Didn't he just say he would tell the truth? Some people... Uh, suggest or commentators that he was being sarcastic and that he was making fun of them. I don't really know. But what I do know is there's definitely a history there because read the next line. Verse 16. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? So apparently they got a thing going on where he lies to him. <laughs> Probably because 
Ahab's like, I hate you because you don't tell me what I want. And he's like, okay, I'll tell you what you want. And the king's like, no, no, you got to tell me the truth. This is, this, no one acts like this nowadays, I'm sure. Verse 17. So this is, now the prophet gives the real word. This is what the word of the Lord is. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. So he just prophesied that the shepherd, which is Ahab, is going to die in battle and that everybody's going to go home. All the soldiers are going to go home after he dies. In verse 18, King Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning but evil? He's like, he turns, I told you. I told you he would only tell me bad news. Verse 19, this is where it gets really interesting. Then Micaiah said, therefore, Hear the word of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And Yahweh said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before Yahweh and said, I will persuade him. And Yahweh said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And Yahweh said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, Yahweh. This is one of the most, if this wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. Yahweh has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and Yahweh has declared disaster against you. Drop the mic right there. Could you imagine the, the scene that this prophet sees? God the Father is in heaven, and he's got all these people around. He's got a big council. And he's like, all right, I could kill Ahab by striking him with lightning like that. I could kill him by just taking away his breath like that. But I want to make it interesting. Is there anybody here that has a game plan? Like God needs counsel. Does anybody here have a game plan for how I can get this wicked king to go to battle so he can be killed? And one of, who knows what they are, some kind of being, maybe with some eyeballs, raises their hand and says, I have an idea. And they suggest it to God. And God's like, you know, not a bad idea, but I'm looking for more pizzazz. Okay, another person, I got an idea, let's do it this way. And God's like, eh. Anybody, any other ideas? And then this spirit, a lying spirit. Do you know what we call those? Demons. Jesus casts those out of people, not sends them. And he says, I, I can do it. And God's like, well, how, what's your plan? He's like, well, I can go to all these prophets, all these false prophets, and I can be a lying spirit in their mouth, and I can get Ahab to listen to them. And God goes, that'll work. Go do it. 
do you have a cognitive dissonance right now? Do you feel kind of angry with me maybe? I, I don't know what to do with this. We, we serve a very good God, and, I, and I, put, I, I, I stand on that even when I don't understand the Bible and I don't understand other factors. But I believe by the Spirit of the Lord that we are in a time and a season where a great deception has come upon our nation and God is orchestrating it all. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are well beyond my thoughts. But you can take courage to know that if God is orchestrating it all, that he has good in mind and good in the end. And we have been freaking out and getting our eyes off of Jesus and acting like God is not in charge here. And so God is in charge. And I want to continue reading the rest of this story. Verse 24, now Zedekiah is the false prophet, and he went near and he struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from Yahweh go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. (laughs) It's like, dude, those are big words. And in verse 27, thus says the king, this is Ahab's response, Put this fellow in prison, that's the the man of God, and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, Yahweh has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. And then the rest of the story is that Ahab and Jehoshaphat go to war. Now, Jehoshaphat said, what does God say? God says he's going to die. So you think Jehoshaphat would be wise enough as a man of God to say, you know, I'm backtracking. I'm not going out to war because this prophet says we're not, you're not going to make it. But instead, the man of God was influenced and jumped on the bandwagon, maybe out of fear of man. I don't know. But nevertheless, Jehoshaphat goes to battle with Ahab. Jehoshaphat, it's a great story, read it at home. Jehoshaphat almost gets killed because of his choice. He cries out to God and God rescues him. But a random arrow, I love it, it it doesn't go and say, and God, a random arrow hits Ahab right between the armor. What are the odds? I mean, what are the odds? It's amazing how many coincidences happen when you follow God. And he dies on the battlefield and everything happens just like the prophet said. And so, I know we need to kind of land this plane, but I want to share a couple of ideas. The 400 false prophets actually believed themselves. They were upset with Micaiah because they actually thought he was wrong and they were right. King Ahab went to war because he actually believed he would be safe. In this time of testing and training, 
It is necessary that we fear God and that we pay attention to our conscience. I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. I know you guys are getting hungry. I'm going to try to land this plane really quick, okay? We're going to do this. And I believe it's in the New Living Translation that I want to read out of to you guys because it's a little bit easier to track. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. This is the Apostle Paul giving counsel to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy, my dear son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. So he's saying here, you have prophetic words over your life. And because of those prophetic words, I'm about to give you instruction. And this is the instruction, verse 19. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. This is an important word for the people of God in the times we are in. Cling to your faith and keep your conscience clear. Because if you do not listen to your conscience, you will dull your conscience and you will sear your conscience and you can shipwreck your faith. I want to look at one final scripture in John chapter 7. Verse 17, John 7, 17. This is Jesus talking. And he says, if anyone wills to do his will, the word his, he's referring to the Father. If anyone wills to do the Father's will, he shall know concerning, excuse me, the doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. So if anyone wills, to do the Father's will, he shall know concerning the teaching, whether the teaching is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. I want to read that same verse to you now out of the Passion Translation because I think it'll give you a better understanding of what Jesus is saying here. If you want to test my teachings and discover where I receive them, First, be passionate to do God's will. And then you will be able to discern if my teachings are from the heart of God or from my own opinions. It's very important. Jesus is giving a key here for hearing his voice. Jesus is giving us a key here from knowing how to know what is truth and what is a lie. It starts by setting your will to do the will of the Father. When your person says, God, whatever you want, I'll do. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. When we posture our hearts, and it's not a quick little endeavor. Sometimes it takes some time. 
because the Holy Spirit will bring things to our attention that we need to lay down. And he'll bring, down, bring up some things in our attitude, things in our choices, things in our behavior, these things. And we, we downplay, God, it's okay for me to watch that. God, it's okay for me to be with them. God, it's okay because we're not really doing this. God, I, and we, we justify and we simplify and we deny our conscience. But I have found from my own experience that I hear God the best when I lay it all down. And to give you an example of this, a lot of times when I am preparing to preach, God will begin to give me it incrementally, like here's a crumb, here's a crumb, here's a crumb. And a lot of times as he's giving me the crumbs, I don't always want it. I don't always like it. Sometimes I tell God, God, I don't think this is what they need. I'm serious. God, I don't see how this message could apply to anybody. And you know what he says? Nothing. Nothing. And I'm like, and I'm wrestling and I'm struggling. And the, I, I have to, it's almost like until I say, God, I completely, in, with all, there's complete surrender. I will go and be an idiot. I will go and be a fool. I'll say whatever you want, even if they don't like me. God, like the more you, the, the scriptures talk about, if you cry out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you cry out for wisdom, it doesn't say exactly that you'll get wisdom. It says you will learn the fear of the Lord. And then when you get the fear of the Lord, then you learn to operate in wisdom. And so what happens, I know I'm unpacking a lot. I need to land this thing, and I'm really going to do it. Believe me, believe me. When I just lay it down and say, God, I'll say whatever you want, no matter what, that is when I hear God better. God is looking for us to will to do his will. And when we will to do his will, we'll know what is truth and what is a lie. You just want to stand? You guys have done a good job. I hope this wasn't too painful. But I, but I know it's a heavier one. If I could have the prayer team come to the front, in just a moment I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. But I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you need anything from God, you can come to the front and they will pray for you. And do you have a word? You do have a word. Okay. Um, Give it, give it, let me finish this and then we'll, we'll have her share the word. So, coming back to me, Daniel. All right, there we go. So if you need prayer for healing, if you need, if you want to know how to be saved and give your life to Jesus, if you need a touch from God, if you need someone to agree with you about a situation, if you need prayer after and even during my time of prayer, they will pray for you. Please don't miss out if you're in need of anything, okay? God will touch you. God will minister to you. Now, Bonnie is going to give a, a word, and then I'll close in prayer. I've called you, if you are mine, to be watchmen. I have told you this before. Do your job. Try the spirits. There are even wolves among, among you that are dressed in sheep's clothing that are out to deceive. You need 
my spirit to discern who they are. You need to line up what they are saying to my holy word. If it deviates one jot or one tittle from what I say, it is not of me. I have cautioned you through my minister. Yes, it is a hard word. And yes, this is a hard word to give. But you need to be watchful. You need to see all the deception that is out there, not just what you can re easily recognize. Because I have told you, the enemy has come as an angel of light to, to make you think it's good and it's evil. And you need to be aware and full of my spirit to discern it. And you need to be aware and full of my word to know whether it is a truth or if it's a lie. I have told you if you will seek my face, I will make you wise as serpents, yet as harmless as a dove. Get into my word. Listen to my messenger. This is the day you need to have eyes from me, that you need to see through what is going on. It is not what it appears. I see it all. You have no idea what is going on in the spirit world because you don't have the eyes, but you can have it if you humble yourself and call upon my name. I will give you those eyes to discern and to know. I love you, therefore I bring the hard words sometimes to rescue you from the pit the enemy has dug for you. Be with listening, be aware, heed my word. Take it to heart and say, help me apply it. Even if you don't have faith, pray for more faith. I will give it to you. I have promises that you can't even begin to realize the depth of them until you reach that point. Heed my word. Wow. Wow. Well, let's pray. Lord, we just come before you. And right now, Holy Spirit, if there's anything in our lives that needs to change, if there's anything that we need to think differently about and repent of, I ask right now that you would bring it to our minds on the forefront right now. And if there's anything that comes to mind, you need to surrender and just lay that down. Deal with it right now. Don't say, I'll deal with it later. Because later, there can be other distractions. Lord, we ask that you'd wash us and that you would cleanse us. 
We ask, Father, for a new start. God, we ask that you would open up our eyes to see what needs to change. And we ask, Lord, that we would be lovers of the truth. Where we've been deceived, Lord, open our eyes. We surrender to you now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.